Well, today we're starting a two-part sermon, half today, half next week. It's called The Six Ways That We Humans Have Responded to Jesus. And we're going to mainly look at how we responded to his birth, but we'll branch out a little bit here and there. And we're going to work from the worst to the best. So today we start with the worst. Next Sunday we end with the best. The worst and best response to Jesus. And so we're going to start with number one. We'll just work our way through the notes. We'll refer to the scriptures as we encounter them. Uh, the first one is, is this super bad response, or we could say the worst response of all. And, and that was the response of King Herod. Okay, King Herod. Uh, we find the, the story of King Herod in Matthew chapter 2. I want to read a little bit of it. Uh, I'll read verses 1 through 6 and then 13 through 17. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. So we'll stop there. We'll skip down to verse 13. And so the story in between there is that the Magi leave. Uh, Herod says, hey, be sure and tell me where the baby is so I can worship him too. They leave. They find Jesus. They give their gifts. They worship. Uh, they're instructed. Or they decide, uh, we're not going to go back and tell Herod where this baby is. There's something weird going on here. Um, Mary and Joseph lived there for a while until Herod figures out there's been a trick and then they leave. So verse 13, when they had gone, the Magi, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. We'll stop there. Look at your notes. Our, our question is, how, how did he respond to the news of Jesus? Now, this was new news to Herod. Why was it new news? Because he wasn't a Jew. He was not a Jewish king. He was a appointee of the Roman Empire who was placed there to manage the Jews. And so his job was to collect taxes and make sure they didn't rebel. That, that was the two things he had to do. If he could do that... He pretty much had free reign to do anything else he wanted. And the Romans were pretty lax on how he accomplished that. Any way they got their tax money was a good way. And any way he kept the Jewish people from rebelling was a good way. So he had a lot of leeway and a lot of authority. He answered to the Romans only on those two things. Did you collect the money that's due? And is there any insurrection mounting? As long as he had those two things under control, he was fine. So he had to ask about this baby being born and what the prophecy said because he didn't know. 
So, so Herod found out this is brand new information to him. And this is how he responded. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. It's in your notes. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Why was he disturbed? Well, he was disturbed because he, re- he perceived a threat to his throne. Now, you might not pick that up right away if you don't know some of the history behind King Herod. Uh, but King Herod, at, at some point in his life, I think before this took place, King Herod had killed three of his sons. Their names were Antipater, Alexander, and Aristobulus, or something like that. And he had killed these three sons because they were popular, and he feared they would try to take his throne. So King Herod was most concerned about staying on the throne. So he answered to Rome, and he tried to control the circumstances. So when three of his sons started looking like good replacements, he had them killed. His goal was to be on the throne for his entire life, and on his deathbed, appoint the person to take over that he chose. And these three sons weren't, they were too old. He wasn't old enough. He wasn't going to wait for them to take over. He killed them. He also killed his favorite wife. And I say favorite because that just tells you how ruthless he was. He thought his favorite wife was plotting against him for one of her sons, so he killed her too. He also killed a brother-in-law. He killed a mother-in-law. And he killed anyone in Jewish nobility that seemed to be gaining a position against him. And as far as the Jews went, when he killed that person, he also killed their family. So Herod had a murderous reign. Anyone that was looking good to the people or anyone that posed a threat, he just killed them. That was a very effective means of making sure no one was going to get his throne before he was ready to give it up or died. So that's who he was. So when, when he was disturbed, notice the next phrase, and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod was disturbed, people died. And so when he was disturbed, when he was agitated, when he was uh, off his rocker, when, when he was pacing around the temple, or around the castle, people in Jerusalem got nervous. Augustus actually said that it was better to be Herod's pig than his son because he had a better chance of living. You might say that that Herod was paranoid. That would be a good description. So when Herod heard that the Magi were in town to to crown a king, he, he was paranoid. What really was the threat from an infant who was just born? Not many countries are going to let an infant take the crown. You're going to at least wait till he's old enough to, to be taught or, or to have some reasoning skills. But really, he was, he was threatened right now. And we know his response, Matthew 2.16, in your notes again, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted, and, and tricked is probably a better word, the, the wise men said they'd come back, but then they didn't. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. 
So the age of Jesus was not yet two years old, and he said, well, I'll, I'll solve this problem. I'll kill all the babies two years old and younger. And I don't know what the vicinity of Bethlehem includes, but if you were anywhere close to Bethlehem and you had a baby boy, your baby boy was killed. And there's no nice way to kill a baby boy. This was brutal. Blood flowed. Um, turmoil took place. Families were devastated. All because King Herod was threatened and became furious. And this is how he responded. Why was he furious in your notes? Because he was not getting his way. It, it all breaks down to that simple of a, a statement. He was not getting his way. He didn't want any threat to the throne out there. And so his first instinct was to get rid of them. He was going to use the Magi and the information they provided. While they were gone, he was probably developing the plan. When they tell me who he is, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to eliminate this threat. But when they didn't come back, when they didn't follow his playbook, when they didn't obey his commands, when they didn't do what he wanted, when he didn't get his way, he got furious. Not only was he disturbed and agitated and paranoid, now he's furious, and he goes on a murderous rampage. And so that's his response. It's not that complicated. It's not that hard to see. It's really even not that hard to understand with just a little bit of knowledge of who he is. He was disturbed, then he was furious, and then he murdered a whole bunch of people. It was kind of, kind of a, how he did things. So the question I want to ask in your notes, do I ever get disturbed, or maybe we might write the word upset there in the blank, do I ever get disturbed or upset with God when I perceive or I think that something is being taken away from me or from us? Do I ever get disturbed with God? Do I ever get upset with God when I perceive something is being taken away? Well, the answer is yes. Let's just be honest. Let's not beat around the bush. I don't need to give you five examples. The answer is yes. Because we're human. We're self-centered. We're selfish by nature. We can be forgiven of our sin, but that doesn't mean we don't struggle with sinning. It means we don't struggle with putting myself above all others. We're supposed to love others as ourselves. We're supposed to put others before ourselves. Well, the reason Jesus had to say that is because we naturally put ourselves in the first position. And everything revolves around me. So yeah, we've been there. We've all been upset with God because we think, and, and I really want to emphasize the word think, that he's taking something away from us. I say think because we logically know that God is sovereign and he's working all things for his good and our benefit. And if he's taking something away, he's going to replace it with something better. He has a better purpose. And, and we may not even realize that in our lifetime, but there's a purpose behind it. And there's comfort in knowing that God's in charge, and God has a purpose and a plan, and he's working the plan. So sometimes we don't even know the outcome. We just see, hey, I'm losing something. Now, Herod was losing something he worked hard to get. He, he did a lot of campaigning and a lot of political stuff and a lot of manipulating the process to get appointed to be the king of Jerusalem. Herod had, in, in every sense, earned his position. He had gained it by a lot of hard work. So he was actually threatened 
to lose something. Of course, he didn't understand what Jesus was there for, what he was going to do, what the plan was. He didn't understand any of the prophecies. All he heard was, crowned king of the Jews. Threat. Oftentimes, we don't really pay attention to what's going on. We just focus on what's being taken away. And we get angry with God. Now, I'll grant you that you probably have never gone on a murderous rampage in, in response to being something taken away or being angry with God. I'm going to give you that. You know, we don't even have to argue about that. But have, you, have you ever hated somebody? Have you ever gossiped about someone, slandered someone? In today's terms, have you, have you spun it so that you look good and they look bad? Have you criticized, ignored, bullied? That's another term. Have you done hateful things because you're angry with God? That might be a little closer to home. Have you done hateful things to other people because you're upset with God? You have to do them to other people because what are you going to do to God? What are you going to do to God? Nothing. So you take it out on people around you. Have you done that? I would say, once again, the answer is probably yes, if we're being honest. It's, it's probably yes. Matter of fact, um, 1 John 3.15 says, Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. That's a reflection back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, where Jesus says, if you hate someone in your heart, it's the same sin as murder. And, and so we have to take account of what goes on in our minds. I've encountered two occasions in the last month which really surprised me. kind of set me back a little bit because I encountered Christian leaders, people that I would normally look up to, who said, one, I've not spoken to this person since. It's like they don't even, they're not even alive to me. I'm like, where does that fit into Christian leadership? Where does that fit in? Where's forgiveness? Where's restoration? Where's dealing with the situation? That was the dealing with. It was, I'm just not going to speak to them anymore. That, they crossed the line and I'm done with them. That's kind of what I'm talking about here. I, I had another situation where uh, someone said, I won't even be in the same room with them. You know, and, and we've had that happen in church two elections ago. I, I, one, one couple said, I can't even be in the same room with them because of their political beliefs. And they haven't been in this room since. That's the wrong approach. When I perceive I'm losing something, not getting my way... I, I, I'm not getting my desires, I'm not getting the outcome I wanted, I'm not getting the, the prestige, I'm not getting the recognition, I'm not getting the income, I'm, I'm not getting whatever it is, and I perceive it's God's fault, I get upset with God, I take it out on others, that's always wrong. That's always wrong. And, and so we'll just kind of leave it at that. The worst response that you can have to Jesus is to get angry with him for what he's asking of you, or what he's taking from you, or because you're not going to get your way, you're not going to get your God that you dreamed up, you're not going to get the outcome you hoped for, you're not going to get the opportunity you wanted, 
Uh, you're not going to come out of this the way you hope to, to be the hero, or whatever it may be. And, and so we start taking it on in others around us. So Herod was the worst example of that. He went on a murderous rampage. We are lesser examples of that by taking it out on other people, often our family, often our friends, sometimes our church family. The other question I want to ask regarding Herod is, do I ever get furious, or maybe we'll use the word angry, with God when I don't get my way? Very specifically, do I get angry with God when I don't get my way? Well, Herod did, and Herod continued to live like this, continued to think like this. And in Acts 12, 23, we read this, immediately... Because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. The story around that is that Herod was giving a speech, and everyone around him said things like, Wow, that was such a good speech. You must be a god, because only the gods could, could talk like that. They were trying to get on Herod's good side, because you don't want to be on his bad side. And they said this, and Herod's response should have been, oh no, I'm not a god, I serve God. But Herod didn't say that. Instead, inside he thought to himself, well, you know, that's probably right. I, I am, I am really, I'm becoming somebody. And he had this thought that this was, this was the right thing to say to him. And God's response was, no, that's not correct. And instead, an angel struck him down, he was eaten by worms and died. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but God made a statement. It's not like he eventually was eaten by worms as he rotted in his grave. No, an angel struck him down. He was eaten by worms, and at some point the worms ate enough that he died. And this all happened in front of everybody. And God made a statement. You don't take my credit. You don't, you don't accept my praise. You, you divert it back to me. And so Herod continued on that path. When I don't get my way, again, I probably don't go on a murderous rampage, but do I stop praying? Do I stop trying to live right? Do I stop exercising my faith? Do I give God the cold shoulder? Do I act like a child? When a child doesn't get his way, we know what they're doing. They're going to push the issue until they get their way. That's their goal. Are we doing that with God? That, that puts us in the, in the same category as Herod. Herod had the absolute worst response to God, so I hope not. When you get like this, when you, when you start, oh, you know what? Maybe I am angry with God. Maybe I haven't given him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I should let him be in charge. At that moment in time, you stop and you repent and you bow. If Herod had bowed, the whole story would have been different. The next group, we'll just call them the bad group. That was the worst. Here's just bad. We're getting better. Worst to bad. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law. So this is the group that's not really at his birth because their response encompasses everything about Christ. When, when, when they heard of his birth, they didn't believe it. When they heard of his miracles, it was a trick. When they experienced demons being cast out, that was Satan. It wasn't God. They didn't like his teaching. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like his message of forgiveness. 
not by works, but by faith. They didn't like any of this stuff. And so here's their response. This one kind of sums it up. It's Luke 11:53 in your notes. When Jesus went outside, in other words, he had been with them, talking with them. He went outside. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. Oppose him fiercely. So he left, and they immediately started, that guy's nuts. Who does he think he is? I think that was blasphemy. I don't think we should listen to him. He should be put in an asylum. You know what? Don't let him back in here. They opposed him fiercely, okay, and to besiege him with questions. So they said, you know what we're going to do? Every time we see him, we're going to ask him a hard question. We're going to ask him questions that we don't even know the answer to sometimes. And when he can't answer it, we're going to belittle him, and we're going to make fun of him, and we're going to call him a heretic. And if he ever gives a different answer to the same question, then we've got him. So that was their approach for the next couple of years. We're going to ask him lots of questions. We're going to try to trick him. We're going to try to catch him in his own words. They were waiting, it says they were waiting to catch him in something he might say. So their response to the overall message of Christ was, we don't want it, and we're going to try to get rid of this guy. He's trying to take our position away, our power away, our wealth away, our message away, our influence away, and so we're going to get him away. That was their response. Eventually, this is what it sounded like. In Luke 23, verse 18, it says, But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man. This is while he's on trial. In verse 21, it got more intense. They kept shouting, Crucify him. Crucify him. So the, the religious leaders of the Jewish nation, they heard, and they should have known. Herod was uneducated. These people knew the scriptures, knew the prophecies. They should have recognized Jesus, but he was a threat to them. Again, a threat. So in your notes, when confronted with truth, they, the Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, they opposed Jesus. They attacked Jesus in the public forum. They stirred up the masses with lies and half-truths. And they rallied a mob to kill him. They rallied the mob to kill him. Now, certain words there I want you to catch. They opposed Jesus, attacked Jesus in the public forum, stirred up the masses, and rallied a mob. So here's the question. We're going we're to bring this right, right to where we're at, right to where we live. Do you tear down Jesus on social media? Do you tear Jesus down on social media? Well, you all just went, no. Well, that's good. I'm glad you don't. Do you pour fuel on the political and social fires that show people the wrong Jesus? Do you rally the mob to kill the real Jesus and replace him with one of your own desire? Do I, by what I post and by what I say and by what I share... Do I put my Jesus on a false throne and leave the real Jesus out in the cold? That's the question. Do I make a Jesus that fits my agenda and put him out there? Or do I put the real Jesus out there? Do I, do I put what he says versus what I think he should say? Here's a real question. Because I know none of you do this intentionally and none of you do this literally. Although some do. And, and, and you should recognize it when you see it. Some actually do that. 
But do some of us do this unintentionally? Do some of us do this unintentionally? Do we post, share, tweet, whatever else is out there? Do we put out inappropriate things because it's funny? Or do we put out inappropriate things because it promotes my politics? Or it promotes my team? You know, I ask this question because this is a lesson I had to learn. Sometimes what's funny may not be appropriate. Sometimes what bites politically and makes my side of the argument sound totally correct may not be appropriate. It's not loving. It's not kind. It, it's not respectful. It's not gentle. And I'm pretty sure those are the words the Bible uses when it talks about how we're supposed to interact with others, especially our enemies and those we disagree with. The real, the real issue comes, or it becomes even worse, when after sharing something like that, we post a Bible verse. Or right before we share something like that, we post a Bible verse or a religious meme. So someone's looking at our social media and it's, Jesus is great. I love the church. So-and-so should go to hell. Democrat, Republican, this social group of people, this minority. I disagree with them so much, I'm going to call them names I wouldn't say out loud in my house. But it can be in print and it's okay. And you know what? The negative that you put down just negated the positive you put down. You either come across as a that, that Christian that nobody wants to be like, and therefore we don't want to ask questions about God, or you come across as a hypocrite who doesn't really act out what you believe. And I say this because we've all been guilty of it. You know, we get on this social media thing, and it's brand new, and it's exciting, and all of a sudden somebody says something, we're in a big argument, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden we've said something we regret, and it's out there, Right? So we've got to be careful. In, in today's world, with today's voice, we can do the same things the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. We can actually be tearing down Jesus while we're trying to promote him to the world. Now, if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't have social media, so I guess I'm okay. Well, you know, the same thing happens around the water cooler, around the dinner table, at, at work. And with our neighbors over the fence, the same thing happens. It doesn't have to be on social media. The Pharisees ruined their opportunity to serve God by rejecting Jesus. Let's not, let's not make that same mistake, especially by mistake. I can be so sure I'm right without ever checking it out. And I can do more damage in the process. Sometimes being right isn't right. That makes sense? I, you know, I used to love the apologetics because I could argue. And I, I kind of liked it. It's my chance to be smarter than you. My chance to know more than you. My chance to show you that God's right and you're wrong. And what I finally figured out was no one ever became a Christian because they lost an argument. No one ever said, wow, you're so smart. You really made me feel dumb. I think I want to become a Christian. No one ever said, wow, I can't believe I thought so poorly and my logic was so askew. I think I should definitely become a Christian now. Never happened. 
Now, the same information shared correctly might bring someone to Christ, but that argumentative way of thinking, that, that, that make me look good, you look bad way of thinking, never works. And so we've got to be aware. So that's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. We'll leave them behind. You guys are wondering if we're ever going to get out of here. The answer is eventually. <laughs> Number three, the not-so-great but able to recover, Zechariah. You remember Zechariah? He was in the temple. An angel appeared to him. The angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. Your wife will become pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. It's going to be great. And he told him some more things. And Zechariah said, basically, Dude, do you know who you're talking to? I am so old. My wife is so old. We're not having any kids. Did you not read my resume? Did you not go by my house before you came here? Are you sure you got the right guy? That's basically what he said. And I love Gabriel's response. Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand at the throne of God. And he said it, not me. And then he said, and and basically he said, you're an idiot. Right? And he said, because you're an idiot, you're not going to get to talk until the baby's born. And so Zechariah has to go off and live his life for the next nine months not talking. Pammy's going, that'd be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe, I don't know, that baby that's not what she was thinking. I know my wife thought that. So for nine months, he can't talk. And, And this is what happens. Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. Mary, who knows she's going to be pregnant because the angel has spoken to her, but I don't think knew if she was pregnant. She comes to visit Elizabeth, who by now is six months pregnant. She comes into the presence of Elizabeth. The baby inside Elizabeth leaps. Elizabeth automatically knows what's happening, and she says, You're the one! The second greatest honor to be paid a woman in Israel was to be the mother of the forerunner, which was John the Baptist. The greatest honor to be paid a woman in Israel was to be the mother of the Messiah. Elizabeth knew she was the mother of the forerunner, and when the baby leapt, she knew this was the Messiah, and she said, You're the one! Blessed are you among women! You're the one! She fully embraced the idea of who Jesus was. Her husband was figuring it out. She was all in. And her response to Jesus was, Oh, blessed are you among women. This child is going to change everything. In your notes, here's the message, Luke 117. And he will go on before the Lord, the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Long story short, that was Jewish talk for he's the forerunner. There was no question in Zechariah's mind what the angel was saying. And there was no question in Elizabeth's mind after he wrote that out for her. His response, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, she's old too. The conclusion, this is to the end of the story, when, when the baby's born, there, there's a lot of hubbub going around. What are you going to name the baby? What are you going to name the baby? Elizabeth says, John. And they go, John? That's a terrible name. You don't have any relatives named John. You don't have any reason to name him John. How about this? How about that? And, and I just imagine Zechariah in the corner kind of slaps his little table, gets his writing tablet out of it, and he wrote, 
his name is John. And that was his statement of belief. I'm all in. So he started off kind of bad, but now he's right where he needs to be. He's all in. His name is John. And then after that, the Holy Spirit gave him the power to prophesy, and he prophesied from verse 68 to 79. That's the change. That's what happens. So here's a summary. Zechariah doubted God because of his life circumstances. Basically, he said, not even God can make this happen because I've looked around and I see what's happening. Not even God can make this work. And then Zechariah contemplated what God had said until John was born. He really didn't have much choice because God took his voice away. So he contemplated. He thought about it. And we should be thinking about what God has to say. But number three, Elizabeth showed him the way to believe everything God said. She showed it to him. So he, he thought about it, and he saw it in action. And then his response, number four, Zechariah obeyed God when given another chance. He obeyed God. So here's the question. If I haven't stepped on your toes yet, get them ready. Okay? When you have doubts and struggle with unbelief because of your life's circumstances, do you consider God's word? Contemplate? Do you consider other people's examples, Elizabeth in this story, and then when given the opportunity to obey, like Zechariah? I hope so. That's the correct way to respond. We're all going to have doubts. We're all going to question God. We're all going to be going like, have you looked at me lately? Do you remember who you're talking to? I'm not sure this is a very good idea. I can name seven other people who are more qualified to do what you're asking me to do. So how about you pick one of them? And God says, hey, I'm God. I pick you. Well, think about it for a while. Think about what he said. Think about what Scripture says. Think about what Jesus has said. Look around and see what other people who are living correctly are doing. See if there's an example to be followed. And then after contemplating and looking around, hopefully you're to the point where you're going to obey. Because that's, that's the right response. What am I supposed to do today? We're going to just take these first three. The, the, the worst, bad, and then eh, not so bad. Not the best, but not so bad. I think the answer is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's in your notes. Fill in these blanks. Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does it mean to trust? It means to listen, to contemplate, contemplate, to learn, to grow. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't, don't read your own circumstances. Don't fall to a human authority. Don't, don't make your decision based on your personal strengths and weaknesses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Follow him. Obey him. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Path straight is code for life work. He'll make your life work. He'll make your life better. He'll Make your life go in the right direction. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Next week, we're going to look at the positives. We're going to look at the third most positive to the second most positive to the absolute best response. And we're going we're to be challenged in that way, too. Today, we, we really saw the negative. And if you're honest, you saw yourself somewhere in the negative. Because we've all been there, and we all struggle with it, and we're probably going to struggle with it again. How do I respond? 
Well, I should look back and see what God's already done in my life. I should look around and see what God has done in other people's lives. I should consider the scriptures and anything else God said to me. And then I trust in the Lord. I lean out on my own understanding and I submit to him. That's the answer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the answer. Wasn't that hard to find? You provided it for us right there. I pray that you would help us to trust you. Because sometimes you ask us to do things that sound a little bit crazy. Sometimes you ask us to do things that sound a lot a bit hard. And sometimes you ask us to do things that we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And it seems like we're getting the short end of the stick. So Father, help us to trust you. To give you credit for being God. To give you credit for being sovereign. And to move forward even without answers. Help us to trust you and not our own thoughts, but the thoughts of those around us. Help us to submit to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.